It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Coming up later, there's something that you need to have in many cases that people don't have and don't realize they don't have something they need till they end up with a big financial oops. I'm going to fill you in on something. I want you to go through a financial checklist with me to see if you need to make a change in your life. But right now, I want to talk about why this fall is not like other falls. As an example, new report out just two days ago about the extreme backlog of ships that are trying to unload at ports in the United States. And there's backlogs with the ships unloading at the ports, rail cars being loaded with the containerized cargo, trucks being available to deliver the containerized cargo that's let off at a train location in the country. I mean, this is a logistical nightmare right now in the United States is so many goods that were not sought during the heart of the pandemic. Now all these goods showing up and more goods than our logistics process in the United States can handle. So like the latest I saw, a warning that Christmas is going to be very different this year because a lot of toys that our kids might want are going to be out at sea, literally, or in some rail yard somewhere, or anywhere other than in the retail store that you were going to go buy those goods at. And if you go back in time, we used to routinely expect what was available was what we saw in front of us. I think about, you don't have to go back that far, when you would go into a supermarket and the produce was available was very limited based on time of year. This is a much more recent thing with you being able to get pretty much any kind of fruit or vegetable any time of the year, anywhere in the country. That It used to be very, very seasonal. But we become so conditioned that whatever it is we want, it's a click away on the internet, or you drive up to the power center store and you walk in and they got it. So for our new puppy, Lane sent me with a list of things she wanted me to get at one of the overpriced power center pet chains. It's killing me. <laughs> killing me how expensive it was. I had no idea that you could see what things cost at um, Walmart or Aldi, what they're going to cost at one of those stores 20 years from now <laughs> just by walking into one of those pet superstore places. And so she sent me in to get this micro puppy that's three pounds and sent me in to get an ultra tiny leash. Aww. And they didn't have any. And 
I was supposed to get these ultra, ultra tiny collars, of which they had almost none. And then I started looking around and I saw how many bare spots there were on the shelves. And so then, being of the mind I am, I start pulling things off the shelf to look where the points of manufacture are for them. And almost everything I pulled off the shelf was China or somewhere else in Asia. And that's where all the logistics logjam is, is with these goods from foreign places. So um, it was funny, the high-low in our family. So I'm then in Aldi the next day. And I go to, Aldi has a little pet section. And I found the little teeny pet collar, the XS size (laughs) pet collar. Did not find an equivalent leash. And this is the high in our household. Lane then went on some kind of um, boutique kind of pet website and was able to get the micro leash that would work for a little three-pound puppy. And <laughs> Were you just going to suggest like a piece of yarn or something? That's a great idea. <laughs> That's actually a great idea. Well, anyway, that's a long way around the barn to say we're going to have supply shortages that are going to continue of all types. And we're not alone. This is happening in most any developed country right now in the world where consumer goods that are made uh, typically in Asia are in a log jam and are not adequately making it to market in the way we were used to and so we're having to adapt and maybe your first choice item is not going to be available or the first store you went to isn't going to have it it's going to require much more flexibility with things with kids this is tough because they become conditioned by advertising that they got to have the blah 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 Because that's the new hot item to have that blah, blah, blah. And it may not be there. It may be somewhere else in the world trying to get here, but it's not going to be there. And uh, that's, that's a thing. But one of the things that's going on right now that in my mind is a very effective and positive development is Ford Motor Company is having the guts to try to change how Americans buy new vehicles in the U.S. And what Ford is trying to do is we use a system in the United States unique in the world. And it's all about you being able on a Saturday to pull into a dealer lot and see what they got sitting on the lot. And, you know, you tell your friends, yeah, I had no intention of buying a new vehicle today, but I saw that truck there. And I just had to have it right then and there. Well, everywhere else in the world, you order a vehicle. That vehicle is made to your specifications with the options, if you want any, that you want in the exterior color you want, with the interior trim you want, with the interior color you want, and on and on and on. So you're ordering exactly what you want which, by the way, is how Tesla does their vehicles. You go and you build your vehicle online, 
order it online, and they tell you you'll have it in three weeks, three months, six months, one month, whatever. And then whatever they tell you, you multiply times two for when the Tesla shows up. But anyway, Ford is like, hey, that's a better idea, which I think used to be one of their slogans, Ford has a better idea. Anyway, that what they want is they want you to go on Ford.com, build the vehicle exactly like you want, and order exactly what you want, and tell you when it's going to show up, plus or minus. Now, we've become conditioned in the United States that when you buy a new vehicle, you just buy whatever's there on the dealer lot. But again and again, there are going to be vehicles with options you don't want, vehicles that don't have options you do want, and you're going to have to make those choices to then be able to drive home in that vehicle that day. But, you know, we have a vehicle for years and years, and it really is better to build that vehicle exactly the way you want it at a cost you can afford instead of what the dealer has. It may be $8,000 more than is really right for your budget for a lot of things you didn't really want. And big question mark that I've seen in some of the financial press is are buyers going to be willing, after they've become so conditioned, to being able to buy a vehicle the same day, will buyers be able to be reconditioned to what actually makes automakers more profitable, makes dealers more profitable, and you actually spend less money when you order a vehicle as a standard way of doing things instead of all the craziness that goes on with U.S car dealers where they have to get those huge pieces of land and have all those vehicles on their lot and pay what are known as floors, daily flooring charges, which is the interest payments they have to make every single day for those unsold vehicles on their lot, which is a huge additional expense for a dealership. I was stunned the first time I learned how it worked overseas When I stopped to buy gasoline, I was actually in Switzerland in 1970-whatever, and next to this gas station was a car dealership. It was like a regular full car dealership, except they had a grand total of four vehicles at the dealership that you could come see what the models looked like. And... I was like stunned and later I talked to a Swiss person who spoke perfect English, better than the English I speak, and asked what the deal was. And he said, well, that's how we buy cars here. You just look at samples and you order what you want at the dealership. This was way before, obviously, before the internet or computers or anything like that. And you'd look at these colorful brochures and salesperson would by hand write down what you wanted and submit your order. And so you were actually getting what you wanted, and the dealer didn't have to have any inventory at all they were paying for, any big piece of land, anything like that. And that's just so smart. So Ford, I hope you went on this one. But know that we're in an era where we've come out of a generation of having plentiful goods everywhere, but we really haven't looked at the behind-the-scenes cost of that. And I think one of the things that's going to happen now 
is the way we get goods and what goods are available is going to be a little bit more like it used to be rather than how it's been this last generation. Krista? Okay, speaking of that, Tim in Arizona says, I made a reservation for a Tesla Model 3 nearly three years ago, hoping to flip it. I never did follow through, but I still have a reservation, and they still have my $3,000 deposit. With used car prices going up, do you think I can flip the Model 3 for a profit? Or even better, could I take delivery, drive it a few months, and then sell it for perhaps a slight loss? Wow. Uh, (laughs) So right now, used Teslas, my son has been looking at the numbers on this, used Teslas are selling for more money than new Teslas. Uh, You know, 21 model year and 20 model year Teslas are selling for a substantial markup because the wait right now for certain Tesla models is more than six months. So people who want one right now are buying a nearly new one at a big markup over what the initial buyer paid for it. So yes, it is possible that you could buy, go ahead and take delivery of the three and flip it for a profit. We don't know when the market's going to turn, so it's a little bit dangerous. But the worst that happens is you just end up driving that Model 3 and say, oh, well, I missed that window. Okay, and from Dorothy in Georgia, why do credit scores drop when you pay off a car or student loan? So, Dorothy, this has been something that has perplexed and frustrated people is that your credit score is made up of several factors. One of the smaller ones is the variety of credit you have. So they'll look at credit cards as one type of thing. Auto loans is another. Student loans is another. Uh, Mortgage loan is another. And so having a variety of loans is a factor that can uh, give you a higher score. Is the variety of loans you have shrink, then your score can suffer a small drop in points. I've had people ask me following a significant drop in points. That's unusual. As I have shared in the past, I carry no debt at all, and I just use credit cards as a payment system, paying my balance in full, and I've been able to maintain a really solid credit score. So you don't have to have multiple varieties of forms of credit in order to maintain a perfectly acceptable score. But getting to 850 without a variety of scores is very unlikely. For practical purposes, a FICO score 760 or above should qualify you for the best terms on virtually any kind of loan you would ever need. This is from Andrew in California. Since the pandemic started, I've been working remotely, living and working out of my van as a lifestyle choice because I love it, and also pet sitting. I have no interest in buying a home or renting an apartment, and I have no debt. I kind of have a good problem, which is that I've maxed out my target date retirement, both Roth IRA with Schwab and my employer provided 401k, as I don't have living expenses. I also have a solid emergency fund in my everyday online savings account. So what should I do with the rest of my money as someone with no near-term big purchasing goals, such as a home or vehicle? What types of investments should I seek to lower my tax burden? I am a passive investor and am not risk-averse. I am single and in my 30s. 
So I'll give you a prescription I find works very well for people, and that is to open an account with Fidelity Investments and use the Fidelity Zero funds as a way for you to build um, investment assets outside of retirement qualified accounts. You're someone who looks like the idea of working till normal retirement age in a normal way is not going to be your likely pattern. So having money outside of traditional retirement accounts would be to your advantage as well. Fidelity Zero funds are index funds that have no commissions and no ongoing management expenses. So you could put money in the Fidelity Zero product. You have very favorable tax treatment on broad market index funds and use that as an additional source as a way for you to invest money for the long term. And congratulations to you on how extremely careful you are with your money. And straight ahead, want to know, do you have the right kind of insurance on your home and your possessions? You may be surprised that some coverage you really need is missing. I've been really concerned about a number of people who are ignoring what I call the success tax. They have done really well saving money, handling their money in a way that they carry little or no debt, and have developed nice assets. And the reason I call it a success tax when you've lived your life that way is that you have lived your life with such good financial habits that makes you a target for a lawyer in the event there's a meaningful liability claim against you. Let's say you're in an auto crash that you're found to be at fault or there's some kind of claim where somebody's claiming that you injured them in some way on your property. You know, they may have a stone may have have not been settled quite well and they fall and they hurt themselves and they have physical injuries and claim ongoing pain and suffering or whatever. You're getting the drill, right? So when you drive down an interstate in much of the country now where billboards are allowed, you see one after another after another after another for these personal injury lawyers. And there are some lawyers who do these billboard campaigns where they'll have a smiling person on the billboard and they're holding a huge replica of a check and say, blah, 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 got me my million or whatever it is. And it's all about people being injured in some kind of event and that it's their big day they won the lottery. They won the personal injury lawyer lottery. So in a case where you have a lot of assets and you've lived your life that way that you carry very little or no debt and you've built up a lot of assets, you're in great danger of all that hard work being wiped out because you don't have sufficient coverage. I shared with you a story earlier this year about a professional whose teenager had an accident 
and that professional only had state-required minimum liabilities. And they were in danger of losing, because of that accident their child had been in, they were in danger of losing pretty much everything they had. Because they had a grand total of $100,000 of liability coverage against a net worth that was in the millions. And that money was all at risk. This one's so simple. So simple. It's called an umbrella policy. It is technically what's known as an excess liability policy that sits on top of your homeowner's insurance, your auto insurance, your boat insurance, your RV insurance, your whatever, your what's going on in your life stuff insurance. So you might have this much liability on auto, this much on your homeowners, this much on the boat, this much on your RV or your motorcycle or your whatever. And then the umbrella sits on top of it. And umbrellas start at a million dollars in coverage. And they get cheaper by the million. And so they're cheap to buy because the odds that you'll end up in a situation where somebody comes after you are low. But the effect, if they do, and you have exposure, is you can be wiped out. So typical umbrella, $1 million, 200 or 300 bucks, And then each additional million, depending on how exposed you are, how much wealth you have, each additional million gets cheaper and cheaper as you go. And this is one of the most overlooked forms of insurance that a successful business owner or individual or professional should have. Anybody who has any public life kind of profile, an athlete, an entertainer, anybody who's had who has a profile that makes them a potential target for lawsuit absolutely needs an umbrella. Now, who doesn't need one? You owe everybody on earth money and you got nothing. You don't need an umbrella. If you don't have assets, you don't need to worry about the liability exposure. This is why I call it a success tax. And the company that writes your auto or homeowners or auto and homeowners, they're the ones that you go to to buy this coverage. Now, one piece of bad news, you may not have enough liability on your existing homeowners or auto to qualify for the umbrella. And they may require you to boost that first, raising your premiums. And then in turn, you have the umbrella on top of it worth it so you know what is not worth it if you were somebody who's been really successful financially having low deductibles on your auto or homeowners insurance raise those deductibles as high as you can if you still have a mortgage on your home you may be limited in how much your mortgage company will permit you to raise deductibles but it's not unusual for people to who own their home free and clear that is a really fancy home 
to have a deductible of $50,000, meaning the first $50,000 in claim, it comes out of their pocket. And you may wonder, what in the world? But if somebody has a lot of money, they don't need to be insured to the max at the low end for those deductibles. What they have to worry about is the risk of a catastrophic loss or a catastrophe. That's what the purpose of insurance is for them. Krista? Derek in Wisconsin wants to know, are you familiar with the insurance company called Lemonade? It's an online insurance company that has great reviews. Their website says they charge a flat fee, pay claims super fast, and give back what's left to causes you care about. I'm with an extremely large mega home insurance company and have had no complaints with them except for the traditional high prices. Are you familiar with Lemonade and does it make sense to save a few hundred dollars a year by switching to an online insurance company? So Derek, I talked about Lemonade when they were really at the experimental stage available. I think originally when I talked about them forever ago, only in one state. And the concept I love and the great news is we never hear complaints about them. Generally, when there's something that's a fresh approach to something, what I look for is what's the customer service like? What's the experience like? And in our world, we hear when there are a lot of problems, which we've not heard with Lemonade. So it is something that I believe is worth taking a chance on because they've stood the test of time and they do save people money, it seems, a significant amount. And this is from Dylan in Delaware. Recently, our mortgage was transferred to another bank. After exploring their website, I came to learn they will only allow automatic payments from their own bank accounts, forcing us to manually schedule monthly payments or switch banks. It doesn't appear they have monthly fees on their checking account, so I've considered creating a new checking account and only transferring the mortgage payment each month. But this seems ridiculous that I would even have to do this workaround. How can a mortgage servicer not accept automatic payments from other banks? So, Dylan, there is no way for them to prevent you from setting up automatic bill pay with your existing bank. What you're talking about is they refuse to do ACH, Automated Clearinghouse, Automatic Drafts of your checking account from your bank to pay the mortgage. But what you do have is you have bill pay service with your bank, and you can set up paying the mortgage automatically, electronically, each month from the bill pay service of your existing bank to the account for the mortgage company, and that will work just fine. It's like any other electronic bill pay, although I believe it's safer than doing ACH where the money is pulled by them rather than being pushed and sent by you. I hope that makes sense. This is from Brad in Connecticut. My cousin has just started a part-time job selling whole life insurance and other curse words. <laughs> as much as I Talking want... Talking about annuities, if you're wondering what that means. As much as I want him to go on a fancy Hawaiian vacation, as you always say, I would like some advice on how I can steer him away from this career choice. I know he wants to help people, but I doubt he realizes he's ripping them off. Is there any resource I can direct him to to get him out of selling these curse words? 
Uh, so I don't know how close you are to your cousin, but I think it's important you let your cousin find out for himself. And there are companies that sell a variety of insurance products that are okay. There are just a few, but they are what are known as mutual insurers, and two in particular that buying from them doesn't automatically make them a-okay to buy from, but they have really solid reputations through, through time, and that is Northwestern Mutual and Massachusetts Mutual. I don't believe that it makes whole life insurance a good deal suddenly or an annuity a good purchase buying from either of them, but they are two that stand above the crowd in looking out for the interests of their owners, which are the people who have accounts with them. But you are right that it's very unlikely that somebody selling whole life insurance or annuities is doing what's in the best interest of a potential customer. In fact, usually it's the opposite. It's one of the worst choices someone could make. And I love that you adopted that saying the word annuity is cussing. And thank you so much for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.